We've got Romelius going over the 20% threshold for their takeover of Breaker Resources. Tauga have been granted environmental permits for their Swedish natural graphite mine. That'd be a nice little place to go and visit. Arafura enter a trading halt regarding their rare earth offtake. And we're going to really dive into the rare earth sector. We've told Trav has done a bulk bit of research for that. Let's not get carried away, mate. It's very, very, right it's very high level. <laughs> Very, very high level. Now, and JD's addiction to reading financial articles has come to fruition with the big fella. Prime for a bit of a macro and investment landscape update. This is Money of Mine, 6th of April. Lads, bit of an issue to address. Trav's copped his first bit of abuse on YouTube. Abuse? No, no. It's it's uh, it's constructive feedback. I like it. I'm encouraging the money miners to give us their their thoughts and feedback. Was it, was it a bit confrontational at first, Trav? I did text it to you oh, straight yeah. away with a ha ha. <laughs> so, but what, what was what was the feedback, Maddie? Well, apparently you were saying you know a lot in place of um, and you if you reduce the you knows, you'd sound a lot more intelligent. But I'm just very surprised the fact that you are the person that's been questioning for your intelligence rather than me. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was I was uh, just grateful that that uh, that the comment wasn't telling me that I need to get a hair transplant. So. Appreciate that comment. I'll uh, endeavour to say you know less <laughs> because not everyone does know. True. And it's a bit cheap. Replacing uh, your arms is a bit cheaper than a hand transplant, hair, hair transplant. JD, Cobber, how are you, mate? Doing well, mate. The feedback's all good, I reckon. It means somebody's listening. And we've just hit 100 subscribers on YouTube. 100 subscribers in three days. I'm, I'm pretty stoked with that. The first 100. The first 100. Plenty more zeros to come, right? Lads, let's get into it. Romelius, as mentioned, they've increased their interest in breaker resources. So RMS and BRB are the tickers from 19.9% to 21.5%. Give a bit of an overview. Now, Romelius put a takeover bid in for breaker on 20th of March for 40 cents a share, so 40% premium. It was recommended by breaker. It was a it was a friendly takeover, uh, but still open to a superior offer. And breaker, they've got the lake resource just south of Carousel Dam and uh, 1.7 million ounces at 1.6 grams. And but that's 50 k's away from Romelius's Rebecca resource. That's 1.2 million ounces, and they purchased that off Apollo in October 2021. So 3 million ounce combined resource. <laughs> Currently trading at 15% above the Remelius offer price. Uh, let's unpack it, lads. What's going on here? What don't we know? Well, th- to clarify, there's not much news today other than the fact that Remelius has increased their change in substantial, but it is a good excuse for us to talk about this deal more broadly. So we will do just that. Um, and and this is a fascinating uh, deal to me for for a few reasons. R- you know, Remelius came in and they made this uh, takeover offer for Breaker. It was at a, about a forty percent premium to the thirty day VWAP. That's that's a that's a pretty typical M and A premium that you'll see. It was supported by the Breaker board, and the rationale is pretty simple here. It's fifty kilometers away from the 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 Lake Rebecca project that they, that Remelius acquired via its acquisition of, of Apollo. And um, it's only 50 kilometers away. So there's genuine synergies from a mining perspective here. You put the two together, you build one mill. 
and you benefit from the upside that comes from um, the two resources being processed through the one mill in a, in a pretty simple mining model here. So not just investment banking synergies. <laughs> <laughs> the merge and demerge uh, banker takes a fee thesis. No, this is genuine M&A rationale. So um, in this in this in this particular case, though, the the thing that really stands out to me as as intriguing about this deal is Remelius's offer is is all script, and and when you look at the ratio of script that they're going to be sort of issuing for Breaker, it, it implies that Breaker as a combined entity, so that's the company and the cash that they have, is worth one hundred and thirty one million dollars of Remelius script. Keep in mind that at thirty one December, Breaker's cash balance was $77 million. So what, what Remelius is getting in this deal is if, if they're successful, they're going to get you know, the project, which they have synergies um, with an existing project, but they're also getting $77 million of cash, which when you, when you, when you add that $77 million of cash with, with their existing cash balance, Remelius is going to have $230 million of cash to, to, to funnel into actually building a mill. And mills aren't cheap, but, but that seems like enough to build a gold mine. Um, and they should be able to build an operation using their operating cash flow, their cash balance, and not have to to tap any additional funding sources, which um, is pretty pretty attractive. And they're gonna, that, and that's an efficient use of their capital. I think it's also worth mentioning on that one that we saw Tom Sanders, the the founder of the company, and up until Remelius had come in, the largest shareholder, saying that he didn't approve of the deal a couple of weeks back, and he's making a move to get rid of the board. So. It might not be wrapped up as, as quick as we sort of first thought, but we'll see how that plays out over the next month or two. So how do you weigh up attaining $70 million of cash if you say, right, they're, they're paying a 40% premium on the share price to get the cash versus if they went to the equity markets to raise $70 million? Mm. Where's the pros and cons of that? Well, you've got to calculate. If, if you look at they're paying $130 million for uh, the company. The company is a combination of the project and cash. So if you subtract the cash from what they're paying for the whole company, it's basically implying that um, that that the project is worth fifty odd million dollars. So the equation for Remelius only has to be: Are they going to get more than fifty million dollars of, of synergistic value from the project for it to actually make sense? And it's it's you know it's fifty million dollars in synergies seems pretty doable when you're doubling the size of the resource. Yeah, like Trav said, I think this is an asset that value is much greater with Remelius than it would be with other companies. So this will be in addition to their – so they've got Mount Magnet and Edna May. So they've they've taken over these two individual companies to create a Greenfields project. They haven't taken over Breaker yet, but they have taken over Apollo. There is still a possibility that someone else could come in, in here and, and put in a bid for Breaker and we could see a bit of a contest. To me, I'm not so sure that could happen, given the fact that the They've breaker got Apollo. Yeah, the, the Apollo is the the nearest sort of project near near the breaker resource, and breaker's resource other than other than Apollo seems relatively stranded. So you have to, if you are to combine it with something else, you probably have to com- combine it with with the the Lake Rebecca project there, which is now in Remilius's hands. So the logical thing to me here is that. Remelius is the natural acquirer of Breaker, and potentially there'll be um, a, you know someone else put in a bid at a higher price if they can see the justification for a standalone operation. But to me, the logical acquirer acquirer here is Remelius. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to the graphite now. Graphite probably more known to 
people in the generation before for your golf shafts, but now very uh, popular in this uh, battery electric revolution. We're getting on to Tolga. Tolga, sorry, Tolga. T-L-G is the ticker. Just been given environmental permits for their Swedish graphite mine, natural graphite. We're going to go into the difference between natural and synthetic. JD, take it away, mate. Give us the graphite guy. Yeah, so this is actually quite a big deal. It's been quite hard for a long time to turn a resource into a mine in Europe. So getting the permitting is a key step in the process. Tauga is a company that really prides itself on being vertically, in, vertically integrated from being a mine to being able to produce that anode at the end. So in addition, I think it's worth remembering that their resource and the proposed anode processing facility are both in Europe. So this ties in really well with a lot of announcements we've seen over the past couple of weeks. The EU came out with their critical raw materials regulation just a few weeks ago, and this is aimed to bolster the EV and the clean energy ecosystem within Europe. So one of the, the numbers that stood out there for me was that they want 40% of the materials used in EVs to be refined, so not sourced but refined from within Europe. So that really makes Tauga stand out as a strategically important asset. And I think that'll go a long way to converting their non-binding offtake agreements that they have with car makers such as Mercedes into binding agreements. That'll mean the funding of the project is one step easier. So Tauga is a company with a, a large following, a, a strong presence in the, the retail investor space. And I think there's sort of two facts that the company really, um, two facts about the company that really stand out to those investors. So Firstly, like you mentioned, they're going to produce graphite and they're going to make an anode product from that. So there's been a lot of debate over the last few years about what sort of battery chemistry will break through and be the dominant battery in the future. And the graphite proportion that's in the anode part of that battery is relatively constant across a lot of different chemistries. So that really stands out. And as well as what I previously touched on, the assets are in Europe. So that makes it stand out from just being an ex-China sort of asset. So if this company goes smoothly from here and progresses into production by the end of calendar year 24, it'll really put it in a sort of league with just a couple other names like Syrah and one or two others out there who are naturally producing, uh, they're producing natural graphite already. So the key next steps to look out for for this company are funding that will involve $485 million US in CapEx. I think it'd be pretty reasonable to assume one third of that could come from equity markets and perhaps a remainder in um, debt, whether that be a portion from offtake agreements as well. And then following on from that, mine construction and production. Yeah, so for people that don't know, batteries are made up of your anode and your cathode. So your cathode, when you talk about your nickel and your lithium and all that for the different lithium iron phosphate and nickel, cobalt, manganese batteries, that's your cathode. So and JD's talking about the graphite, which primarily makes up the anode, which is the other side of the battery. Now, Trav, you had a bit of bit of knowledge on demand and side of things of graphite with synthetic versus real natural graphite. So the Swede Tauga is producing a natural graphite, but can that anode be substituted for a synthetic graphite? I am by no means a graphite expert, so let me just uh, point that one out. However... Uh, people in the know tell me that you uh, you. <laughs> however, people in the know tell me that 
uh, there's the, you, you, it would be hard to see a very reflexive price movement in the price of natural graphite purely because it is substitutable by synthetic graphite. And a lot of synthetic graphite comes out of China and is produced out of China. And to the extent that, that this substitute exists, this, this man-made substitute exists, you, it, it would be really tricky to see the same sort of reflexive commodity price movement as you've seen in, in lithium in recent history. And, you know, if, if you, as you saw in uranium in the past, these really um, enormous sort of commodity moves happen because supply is naturally constrained and there are no substitutes. So I think the thing that Tauga would say to your point there, Trav, would be that the synthetic graphite is quite an energy intensive process to produce. And if the ultimate purpose is for a electric vehicle car battery, you'd want that entire process to be using as little energy as possible. It might be similar to class one and class two nickel. You'll have might have two different price streams for the natural natural graphite would probably I would assume get a better price and better favourable by, um, as you said, countries that want to source natural graphite from Europe rather than a synthetic one from China. Yeah, and I think it's something we've also seen in the copper space with people like Robert Friedland highlighting that copper should be priced in a couple of different streams depending on how much energy is involved in the ultimate production of the material. Right, perfect. That'll be a perfect segue talking about our European offtake for battery minerals. So we're getting into Arafura, ARU, the ticker, someone that Gina pumped a bit of money into recently. So they're in a trading halt regarding uh, execution of a binding offtake announcement. So they've got the Nolan's Rare Earth Project uh, just north of Alice Springs. So that is a monazite project. If you go back to the Rare Earth uh, Spectacular or did there's uh obviously your clay rare earths but your primary primary ones are the carbonatites but then this is a monazite so who, a bit- said, who said you couldn't be smart maddie look at look at you oh no i oh, know i'm not getting slagged on youtube about me intelligence <laughs> so arafura so they've been look they've trended down a bit uh last year so we're going to talk about arafura uh hastings and linus so look get, let's give a bit of an overview of this sort of rare earth space and as we discussed in the podcast that i did previously with the od6 lads uh linus lyc are the only producing rare earth mining company in australia but the ones coming online you've got hastings uh you've got arafura that are potential then you've got iluca as well in the asm ASM and Iluka for mineral sands and they're going to be extracting rare earths. So, look, there's there's a bit happening. Um, so I want to go through – let's just compare the projects because Linus, for people who don't know, is just an absolute outlier in terms of in terms of grade. So, there, look, Arafura, percentages aren't percentages in uh, rare earths, a lot to do with the processing, a lot to do with percentages of NDPR. So NDPR is what you use in the your wind turbines and the uh, electric motors. So that's the primary thing that people want for rare earths. So look, Arafura, their reserve is uh, 29.5 million tonnes at 2.9% total rare earth oxide and a quarter of that is NDPR. But then you go to Linus, Mount Weld, so – Instead of two point six percent, they are their reserve is eight point six percent total rare earth oxide. So their grade is substantially higher. They're a carbonatite. So just shows that Linus's Mount Weld is the outlier. Then that's why it survived during the times of um, low production. But back on Narafura with the line, uh, they got given a six hundred mil 
US loan from a German export credit agency, Euler Humes. That was announced the other week. So, but that was conditional on them securing offtake agreements with German companies. So, is this offtake going to be with the German company? Trav, what do you think, mate? Plenty to plenty unpack here. And as you said, it's all tied in the offtake and the loans and everything are all part of one big friendly package, aren't they? Absolutely. And as I'll touch on a little bit later, financing this project is a mammoth effort. Like we shouldn't understate how challenging financing this is. Um, and to your point, yes, it's all got to be sort of interconditional. There's there's equity, there's debt, there's concessional finance, there's um, strategic partners. All of this stuff has to come together, and offtake is a big part of that. And, and every every party along the way needs needs sort of some level of certainty that the product is going to be paid for, and there's some price security around what what's going to be received for that product. Um, and Arafura's plan. Let's just keep in mind that they're in they're in trading halt right now, so we don't know what this offtake agreement is um, or, or how important it is. But uh, you know. In, 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 in my mind, if, it, if, if this offtake agreement actually means that the whole financing package can fall together, that's a pretty important um, potential announcement. And Arafura's plan is, is to go from, uh, from ore all the way to oxide at the one site. So that's, that's, a, that's mining, that's a beneficiation plant, an extraction plant, and a separation plant all at the same site. And that's to produce 4.4 thousand tonnes of NDPR oxide plus another you know, 0.4 um, thousand tons of, of a mixed heavy rare earth oxide from from the same site every year and you know this this is going to be a massive project if it can be financed the capex is 1.4 billion dollars Aussie at the moment and and plus another 200 million dollars um, contingency is, is, is in their latest capex update that came out in November so that on our numbers they've got about 150 million dollars cash at the moment and and they're well placed to to bring this entire funding package together given Hancock came on the register as a 10% cornerstone in their last raise. And the, the offtake, as I mentioned, is going to be a huge piece and, and the financing package is, is, is absolutely mammoth. And one thing I, I really wanted to touch on for this, this company, it looks like they're pretty close to getting a finance package that's actually going to fund and build this mine, a massive, massive capex number. So, Oh, the thing that stands out to me is compare this to Hastings. If you go back 12 months, it really looked to me like Hastings was going to be the next rare earth producer in Australia. They they were super well advanced. They had NAFE supportive. Um, they had agreements with export credit agencies in in, in, in Europe or, or letters of support. They they It looked like they were going to put together a commercial banking syndicate. Um, their market cap was large enough to justify a pretty hefty equity raise that looked like the whole thing could come together and they'd be able to announce FID, the study, DFS was done, CapEx was being updated. It really looked like they were about to pull the trigger on the final raise to build this thing. And in the last six months, you know, Hastings share price is down 35% versus Arafura up 45%. And especially, you know, very recently, um, that the Hastings CFO has actually left the company and he's, he's gone and joined as the CFO of a, of, a, of a lithium developer. So if you're trying to pull together an extremely complicated financing package, and I'll touch on why it's so, so complicated, because the financiers are not across this commodity. This is a niche commodity. So the lenders actually have to technically get up to speed on what the probability of their repayment is actually going to be. And they need to get comfortable from a credit 
it has to be get credit approved. So there's a committee that has to say, yes, I'm comfortable that this, this will all be okay. And that's really hard when you have a niche commodity and there's very few peers to point to that actually do this well. So, so the financiers do a lot of work to get up to speed and this process takes a long time to get them all, all ready to actually approve financing something like this. The very last person you want to lead, leave the company when you're going through a big financing process like this is the CFO. The CFO, in my mind, is the person that is leading that financing work stream and he's left Hastings. And, and now we're in a position where Arafura looks like it'll be the next rare earth producer if they can pull it together faster from a financing perspective. Because um, Hastings, their capex was significantly lower than uh, than Arafura, but I assume that is because Arafura are located literally in the middle of Australia, so they had to have as much essentially pretty close to downstream processing on site due to uh, transport. It's a combination of of the remoteness, but also the level of, of separation that's happening at the site as well. I think Hastings were planning to produce a mixed rare earth carbonate as opposed to the separated oxides. God, I can't wait till this uh, podcast grows and expands and we can employ some metallurgists and, and things to go through with this in detail. So, But, hey, good. No, don't, not, don't take away the effort we're putting into it. And, look, another note I want to put on this, why, why the German interests. So in 2019, Germany announced that they're getting rid of all their coal. They want to shut down 84 of the coal-fired power stations. So in 19 years they want to be fully – out of coal, so and that they, they were currently at forty percent renewable energy, but they want that to get to sixty-five to eighty percent by twenty forty to meet their climate change targets. So, and that's that's forty-five billion dollars they're attributed to get that to get that lift. So they're going to be pumping it into wind turbines, which is what this NDPR is for. And super interestingly, they're also getting rid of all their uranium power stations. Yeah. So kind of counterintuitive to what you said, promoting the greener energy but that's a decision they've made yeah so that must be so it must be coming from wind solar and what gas gas must make up the remaining 20 percent. so let's let's hypothesize why not uh good good work on that trav sensational mate now right jd uh we've mentioned your your little financial article uh reading addiction which is Extremely beneficial for this little project we've got going on, mate. A couple of articles caught your eye, a bit of a macro and investment landscape update. What caught your attention? Yes, I think it might actually pay off. I think there's been some (laughs) really interesting movements in resource project financing over the past few years that I sort of want to unpack with you guys. We'll start by just talking about how how projects ideally get funded. So you'll have a team of geologists and exploration managers and they'll go out and they'll have an anomaly that they'll test. They might have to go to the equity markets and raise some funding. And in an ideal world, they'll turn that into a resource, which will become an ore reserve. And that all happens while the process is being done from scoping study to pre-feasibility study to the DFS. In the latter stage in the DFS, they'll start talking with financial institutions. They'll start to come up with an idea of how they're going to fund that project. And just to quickly recap, project finance, which is a common method, is where companies will raise debt and they'll use the asset as collateral, not the company because essentially the company's only asset is the project. So this is where the articles and developments we've seen over the past few years start to get really interesting. A lot of banks and the big superannuation funds across Australia 
previously funded a lot of these projects. So they would have teams of geologists and resource valuation expert, experts, as well as mining engineers and so on, who would assess the risk, kind of like what Travi touched on before, where they need a specialized skill set, in that case in um, REEs, to assess the risk and make sure that they can get their capital back, their principal and their interest repayments. So we've seen Alex Dorsch today highlighted that most super funds aren't investing and if they are, they're just passive. There's an anomaly, Oz Super have stuck with it and they've made some good investments in the space. But Who's just- the house? So they've obviously seen some benefit in uh, Gualia and Ulysses. Yeah, that's right. But a number that really stood out to me was that the big four Aussie banks have reduced their exposure to the resources industry by $25 billion between 2015 and 2022. Wow. So I think there's a few sort of takeaways. This funding process does sort of follow the mining cycle. And as we saw, commodity prices really drop off between 2016, 2019. It's natural to expect that the the funding and the loans would drop off as well. It's also worth highlighting that a lot of the majors are quite cashed up at the moment. The likes of BHB, Rio Tinto, Fortescue have made a lot of money in iron ore. So they don't need to go to the banks and take out loans. But I think the key highlight of this and what the trend really means is that we're going to see a lot more offtake funding. We've seen this a lot in the lithium space where battery makers will pay the company to help turn that resource or reserve into a mine and in the process they'll secure the product for their production. We'll also see offshore banks come in, Canadian banks, American banks, banks from Asia come in and try and finance these projects as well as government lending agencies, a lot more equity financing. And lastly, something I think we'll see a lot more of is M&A and joint ventures with the majors who have cash coming in and helping get these projects that we need to reach these energy reduction and emissions reductions goals into our batteries and so on for the future. So gold, do you reckon gold is the one that's probably going to attract the most attention of the big of banks and super funds compared to because it doesn't require an offtake? I think there's quite a big ESG component to this. So we saw this massively over the past few years with coal. That was a commodity that a lot of banks stopped funding first. And we might see it also in the oil and gas sort of space where these banks will face reputational risk and they'll think twice before funding these things. So if they were to invest, I think they might be much more inclined to pick copper assets, nickel assets, lithium assets that they can tell their stakeholders have a good environmental impact. So but are they? Does it, how does that work? Because a lot of those nickel and copper, all the base metals and battery metals all require, they seem to be all heading towards offtake partners as the funding rather than going to banks. What's your take? Yeah, and I think that's a, a direct result of the bank's losing their expertise and their experience in the space and getting rid of the geologists and the valuation experts that they're not comfortable anymore making those loans. They don't have capacity to do it. Banks will typically outsource the the technical evaluation to you know in, an independent technical expert to, to sign off on, on some of these elements. And and that tactic has has you know brought them varying degrees of success in the past. Quite often, some high-risk projects have, have backfired on them, where where the lender doesn't even get the debt back. So, where where's the bank putting all their money at the moment? Then, if they're not putting it in mining, where's it gravitated to in that period? Everywhere else. 
look at Silicon Valley Bank, mate. It went it went into bonds that have been mispriced horribly. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's hope they. Uh, I don't think the banks are going to put it in crypto. God. Now, crypto podcasts have died off of of noticed as well. So, anyway, let's get on to the overnight recap. The other stories hitting the hitting the news: Saint Barb's and Genesis. They've been suspended from quotation, both of them pending the uh, reworked merger discussions we discussed the other day. Head back to episode two for that one. Uh, Wireless stake in Mincor has increased from twenty five percent up to thirty two percent. So that takeover process is accelerating. And Neo Metals they've increased their holding in. Vanadium in a vanadium recovery project. Too easy, lads. Great research. Sensational. Everyone head over to YouTube. We're going to amp up the YouTube video. Well, you would have seen it because you would have watched it, but we're amping up the standard. I think we, we're, we're getting charts. We're making it more interactive, I think. And we're going to we're going to get uh, the Instagram going for uh, the Instagram audience out there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had much success on Instagram, but we're, hey, I'm happy for all the fans to turn it around for us. Or Twitter. What do you want? Get on Twitter. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. We've got Trav has been absolutely pumping out the shorts and the highlight videos. Uh, look, full full episodes on YouTube. Just get in, get in around it and because uh, I don't want to go back to FIFO. So, beauty. Lads. Thanks, guys. You're stuck with me. <laughs> all right. Cheers, money miners. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.